Hello and welcome along to the Unplugged Pod, where each week we explore absolutely everything to do with switching off in a world that's always on. I'm David and alongside me as ever is Mr. Unplugged, Hector Hughes. And today we're joined by AJ. AJ has spent the last two years running a community of entrepreneurs called Founders and he's a maestro when it comes to bringing people together and building deep connections. I hope you enjoy the conversation. The AJ, first of all, thank you very much for, for coming along to the Unplugged pod today. Uh, and thank you for being our most prompt guest so far, actually. So, uh, you know, a good 25 minutes early, which you, you can't beat. So thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to have you along. And, and we're going to start, I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot of things, but let's start how we will start on the Unplugged pod by asking you, how do you unplug? How do I unplug? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And uh, thank you for being patient with me being way too early and interrupting your flow with setup. But how do I unplug? I was born and raised in the countryside. And since moving to London, it's never really felt homely at all. And so it's not the most effective way to unplug. But when I can, luckily, my mum and her husband live out in the countryside and they leave their house a lot um and so they're like oh who wants to house it and so i'm very quick to jump in and be like yeah yeah, i'll house it um and walking in the woods near my stepdad's house is just the most grounding calming restorative practice i do um putting a podcast in walking um so bliss otherwise um i love exercising and i really feel a difference pre-run and post-run even if it's 10 to 15 minutes um if you can build up a sweat then that makes a huge difference um so yeah that's probably those are probably the two things i do most often um on the off chance that I can and I have the funds, I'd like to love to travel, just go somewhere different, um, either with my girlfriend or alone just to see friends. Uh, and that's always super special, but that's a privilege. So I don't get to see that that often. We'll talk a bit about uh, Imagine Exercise and they've done Ironman recently. But before that, I remember the first time we ever spoke, I don't know if you remember it, but you told me that you were planning to go and spend a year at a, oh. a Buddhist temple. So is that, is, that still on the, is that still on the road, Matt? When you messaged me earlier, Hector, and you said, oh, this guy was going to spend a year in silence or something, I, I guess that means you, you didn't do it eventually because it's a crazy thing to do. I didn't do it yeah. <laughs> yet. Uh, will I do it? I'm not sure. Um, so... Both those things you mentioned come under a mental model with which, with which I live my life, which is around just feeling uncomfortable, like pushing comfort zones. And before doing the Ironman, um, I hadn't actually done ever a marathon before. My first marathon was in the Ironman. But I was a runner. Like, I love running. I'd done, like, an half uh, marathon. And it just felt like I could do it. And so then... The logical next step was you do a marathon, you build it up until then you do an Ironman, but it just didn't feel uncomfortable enough. It didn't feel like it would be enough of a growth 
opportunity. And so then jumped into the Ironman um, and it was a serious growth opportunity. Like there was, there was a big risk factor of I could fail at this. And the other thing which made me feel really uncomfortable, which was uh, this idea of having a long period of time in silence. And my life purpose I've discovered for now, it might change, but I've discovered is around connecting people. And I think that that's split into two things, which is connecting with yourself and connecting with others. And so I've spent my life loving being around people, relatively extroverted. And uh, I've spent a fair amount of time with myself, done lots of journaling, done a little bit of meditation over the years. Um, but actually what would make me feel uncomfortable with regards to connecting with myself would be like pure isolation just with me and my thoughts can't speak to anyone and that when I thought about it I was like god that would really suck like this that would be really really uncomfortable um and lots of people do their the 10 day silent um meditations but again it just felt like I could do it even though it would also be really difficult, I'm not downplaying that. I, I know you've done a couple of them, haven't you? Um, but yes, it felt like, okay, what period of time would make me feel really uncomfortable? And I started with six months and then I think my ego pushed me to do a year. Um, but now I think about it as well. Um, I'm now in a serious relationship and these things I've realized no longer just affect me. Like putting my girlfriend through that would just be like, it just doesn't, it feels quite mean. It doesn't feel like it's fair. Like I'm not just doing it for myself. She has to endure this pain as well. And so I'm now looking for another thing which makes me feel equally uncomfortable that I can do and it doesn't have ripple effects, negative ripple effects to the people that I love. And by the time you got to the Ironman, is how uncomfortable is the day itself and you know spending those however many hours with yourself? 11 hours, 10 minutes. The day, weirdly enough, was actually relatively easy. Sounds really weird. But going into the Ironman, I was fixated on this idea of having it as an infinite game or focusing on the infinite game versus the finite game. To explain it, a finite game is most games as we understand them. They have a set time frame. You know who the other players are. Um, there are set rules. But the most important thing is that the intention of the game is to win the game. There's a winner and there's a loser. An infinite game is there's no set time frame. You don't know who the players are. The rules are constantly changing. And the most important thing is the intention of the game is to keep playing the game. And so doing an Ironman is a very finite game. There's a set amount, the set distance, the other players are the other con contestants and you either complete it or you don't complete it or you complete it within a time or you don't. Whereas the infinite game I was trying to play was build endurance and discipline. You can't win at building endurance or discipline. It's just like I want to live a life of being, having endurance and discipline. And so then how I was trying to frame it was by the time I got to the day, if I'd done my training as I said I would, I've won. Like, I've, I've built the endurance and discipline. And so whatever happens on the day happens. Don't get me wrong, that feels like a very, like, higher level, like, monk mentality that's like, oh, I don't mind about the result. Of course, I would have been gutted if I hadn't been able to do it. Um, but that's what I was focusing on. And so then the actual day, um, because of all the hours spent training, 
almost all of them by myself. The day itself was just like so much happening. There was so much action. There were so many people. There was just like so much to think about and focus on. And like, I wasn't just me on my bike in Essex in the rain thinking this sucks. Why have I done this? Oh, this really sucks. I can't wait to get home. That's, that's when it was really tough. It's like five hours into that cycle when you're just out in the middle of nowhere, if you get a flat tire, you're just walking. And it's like that, like that, that, those, that's where it was really tough. But the day itself, there's like so much energy. There's so much excitement. There are so many people there. Um, I had my girlfriend and one of my best mates there supporting. And so there was just so, so much happening. And so it didn't actually feel like physically, don't get me wrong. It was painful and it sucked, but like you sign up for it. Like it's never going to be easy, is it? Yeah. What, what do you think drives you to, to seek all this discomfort? I really like growing. I don't, I don't like stasis. Um, I really like progress. I'm trying to think what exactly drives me. Um, I'm like, I'm pretty competitive, but not like annoyingly competitive. Um, it's more so, um, oh God, I just caught myself thinking of what I was about to say and I was like, that sounds like such a date comment. I was well, we'll never know now. Maybe no, I'll tell you, I'll tell you because it's just like horrific. Well, it's not horrific. I'm just, I like being competitive with myself. Um, and so that's where the whole, if something feels uncomfortable, that's, that's a, a signpost or a filter for me to do it. Um, because what feels uncomfortable for someone else won't feel uncomfortable for me. What feels uncomfortable for me won't feel uncomfortable for others. Um, but what, drives me I don't know I feel like um it's exciting it's like risky to see what you can and can't do um why train alone though that because I know a couple of people that have done Ironman that seems like uh doing the Ironman is an insane accomplishment by itself it's worth mentioning you finished with a marathon 110k bike ride 180 180 and then the, the swim is like two something miles more, I don't know. Yeah, it's 3.8k okay. to something. Right, so it's a, and it took you 11 hours, 10 minutes, right? So it's an insane accomplishment, but why why train alone? Like, there's so many triathlon clubs, you could have got a coach, there's so many other things that would have uh, just reduced a bit of friction there. Was that a conscious decision then? Half, yes. The coach part was money-based. Doing Ironman is so expensive like painfully expensive, which I didn't realize beforehand. Had to buy the bike, had to uh, fix the bike like five times, had to replace the parts of the bike when they got stolen. Um, nutrition, uh, the Ironman ticket itself, uh, they have a monopoly on the market. Ironman is a brand and they've tagged that distance triathlon as an Ironman. And so they just, they charge, the ticket's like 600 quid just to go and just to get, get involved. Um, it is a big production event, but like still, it's it's expensive. Um, and then the triathlon club side, I, I had a cycling club, but got to remember, five hours of cycling of a day, and it's every weekend, it's every Saturday. And um, so the cycling club near me, they're great, really lovely, um, but they left at like nine a.m. and so you get back at one p.m. ish, and then. You like have to faff around for an hour. You're pretty knackered. And then it's like, 
it suddenly gets to 3 p.m. and you're like, oh, okay, it's the end, pretty much nearing the end of the day and I'm pretty spent. And so I would try and, I'm, I'm an early bird, so I'd get up at six and I'd be on the road at 6.30 and then I'm back by like 11.30. Um, and so then you've got, still got half the day and you haven't just like given up a lot of your weekends. Um, running parts, I ran a couple of times with some people, um, but not very much. And the swimming parts, I started off with like doing some swimming classes, but a lot of the time it's like no one wants to swim for an hour nonstop um, uh, when you're when you're doing the long distance one. So um, it was just it was it was a lot of admin and faff and hassle to just organize it and train that much and there's so much thought and attention put into it. I just I didn't put the effort into going that extra mile and finding um, others. And the last part was around this connecting with myself piece if there was someone else I'd be distracted and like want to feel the need to talk to them um whereas it was like one of the biggest takeaways I got from it all was when cycling in the rain in Essex four hours in like catching myself and what I was thinking about and what the narrative was and how I was thinking about the pain or the struggle or whatever that was really enlightening to think okay there are points where I'd like take this victim mentality be like oh this really sucks I'm so cold I'm so wet I'm so tired why am I doing this I'm so done and then I'd catch myself thinking about it and go you signed up to this you entirely put this on yourself this is such a privilege that you get to do this it costs a lot of money very few people get to do it um this is like this is this is where it happens this is where people get tested and like you are living and breathing it right now and just be grateful for it. Um, and so that was the catching myself in those moments when it felt like I was at the, like not at my edge, but it was like the small, the small um, bits of self-talk, which didn't feel like they were serving me. Um, that was probably the big takeaway. And if other people were there, then I don't think I would have had that. And has it changed your relationship with yourself? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, uh, I, th- I think I'm just like, I'm more grateful. I just feel more privileged than ever. Um, I appreciate my body more. Like, it just it can get you through so much. It's like, it's actually mad. And um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like anyone can do it now it's just that classic thing that like before you do it you think it's this crazy thing once you've done it you're just like ah okay <laughs> that was that <laughs> um and people look at me and they're like oh, of course you'd say that or whatever but actually much like with anything that you've done like Hector how much did you how much your last raise for unplugged uh a million amazing right you say that to a an early stage entrepreneur who's never raised around they're like jesus raise a million quid that is nuts like, how on earth did you do that? But now that you've done it, you're like, oh, I know how to do it. I do X number of investor calls and I send my deck to X number of other founders and they critique it and then I tweak it over time and you put it in the hard slog and eventually you get a million quid or more. And then it's like, oh, okay, cool, I know how to do it. And then you might look at someone who's raised 50 million quid and be like, Jesus, how do you do it? And then you'll go do it and then you'll be like, oh, okay. And I feel like that's... um it's sort of just given me more confidence in what I can do. Um, and so now I suppose I've doubled down on this phrase, which is I can do 
anything that I want, I just can't do everything that I want. And so then I think it's just um, being really hard on prioritizing where I want to spend time and energy um, and how I want to spend it. Uh, yeah. With the, um, the different disciplines in the, in the Ironman, my friend who did it, he said that the running and the cycling, at least you can plug in to something, right? Music, podcasts, but the swimming, I know now you can get earphones and stuff, but he said that was the most like in his head for him. Because like when you're cycling, you, you are still like looking around at stuff, right? And, and you, know, you can listen to a podcast. So you do have some kind of stimulation. Same with running if you're running outside. But the swim, all you can see is like that much in front of you. I don't know how much, what training you did in like some of the outdoor um, places in the UK. But did, did you find that the most unplugged, as it were, out of the three? Mm, that's, that's a great frame of the question. As far as I understand it, you're not allowed to listen to anything during the race i meant just during the training really so, so like in all the, yeah with that in mind i made a rule for myself that i wasn't going to listen to anything during training because it would just make it more torture on the day that if like you just get shocked to the system if you're like oh suddenly it's silent uh and i would and again back to connecting with myself um i think that was that was a good part of it but your point's like very valid in that swimming is the most brutal for me, A, I wasn't a swimmer. I still don't think I am really a swimmer. You've got the hype for it, though. Tallest, <laughs> tallest guess we've had so far, Terry. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but you do, when, yeah, when, you, when you're open water swimming, you do see nothing. And so then it is just about you thinking about your breathing and like your technique and you have to be like really focused on that until you get into a good rhythm and then your mind sort of can wander um but yeah that that was probably the hardest that was the hardest bit for me but then on the day itself I like it flew by like it was it was super intense so actually like very tragically two people died during the swim um I think because the start of it is so intense because you've got a thousand to two thousand people all getting in the water one off the other and so then at the start at least on the race that i did which is in cork in the south coast of ireland we swam along the coast and the current was going with us as well so like there are other things in the day which you can't predict um and so because the current was going with us i swam the fastest i've ever swum um but it also meant that and we had to go around a buoy and then you have the current at your back. But to get around the buoy, you have so many people all trying to get right next to the buoy. And that meant that there was people all around me, forward, behind, everywhere. And you couldn't really swim because you're like, there are so many people everywhere. But you also can't stop swimming because everyone's get, trying to get past the boy. Um, and so that was like really intense. A, you've been stood around by the start line for ages. They play um, ACDC Thunderstruck at the start to get everyone hyped up, which is awesome. Um, but then like, you're is like- Is that when people died then, around the boy? I assume so. Like they don't release that much. On the event that you did? Yeah. yeah Jesus. So the, the, they died in the swim. 
Um, and I'm assuming it was there because that was the most intense. But otherwise, like the reason that the triathlons in that order, swim, cycle, run, is because if something happens, well, sorry, something is more likely to happen later on in the race if you like pass out from exhaustion or something. And so then it's the least dangerous to do that when you're running as opposed to cycling, as opposed to swimming. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that bit for me was actually like, get you past the boy, that was intense. It was like, Jesus. Then once you're past the boy, the swim went amazingly well. And it then by the time we got out of the water, it felt like it was just a bit of a warm up. And then the bike is like six hours and 15 minutes. At least that's what it took me. Um, and at the, it's two 90K laps uh, on the race that I did. And at the end of it, there's a hill called Heartbreak Hill. And that was brutal, uh, especially the second time round. Once you've just done 180 k, on the you're gonna have to climb this 21 degree hill. Um, but again, it was like epic because you have all the people either side like screaming at you um, to get up the hill after you've just been like by yourself in the countryside doing your 180 k. Um, so yeah, just like it was, it's an awesome day. I would really, really recommend anyone give it a go. But caveat: it's so much time invested. It's, it's expensive. Um, but yeah, I think anyone can do it. At most like within reason. Awesome. <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's an awesome accomplishment. All right, let's let's talk about founders then. This is how you you guys know each other, right? Uh, as a non-founder, I have an image of everyone patting each other on the back, comparing their heart rate variability, and like meditating and stuff. But what what's it actually like, and how do you get involved in it? And you're now CEO, right? I was okay. So I left Founders just uh, under three months ago. What is it, first of all? Founders is a community of entrepreneurs, of founders, from seed through to IPO. And what's unique, there are, there are loads of communities of entrepreneurs in the UK, in the world. What's unique about Founders is that, um, and I can't take credit for this at all, but the culture uh, is very open, very honest, very vulnerable. There's a safe space where people can talk about anything to do with life or business. And being a CEO is a very lonely and stressful job. And having that safe space where people can lean on one another to talk about anything in their life is just so valuable. And so many times I had people come up to me after a retreat, which is a weekend from like Thursday to Sunday saying, I've, I've never told anyone lots of this stuff and, or this weekend has been life-changing um, because you meet lots of people who are very value aligned, who are going through this pretty intense, difficult, lonely journey as well. And you finally, suddenly feel like you found your tribe, you found some of your people. Um, and that's what Founders has done incredibly well. So shout out to Dan Murray-Serta and Rob O'Donovan, who, who started it now just under 10 years ago. Um, and I was lucky enough to um, carry the torch for the past two years. Um, but yeah, it's super special. We have an online platform, uh, but the real magic is at the in-person events. And so the retreats are the pinnacle. Uh, we were doing three to four retreats a year. And then we have day events as well, which we did about two a year. And then there are dinners, drinks, walks and talks. There are virtual workshops and stuff. Um, there's a whole host of things. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you say uh, you can't take any credit for the, the culture, and obviously, you know, uh, Dan and Rob have built something amazing from the beginning. But I think I think you're you're being slightly humbled there because I mean, I, I've been I joined it at the end of last year and I've been to my first two retreats this year, and it is a it's very hard to explain. It's a really incredible, very intense in many ways experience. But you, so we had one uh, about a month ago in rural Wales, and I remember I arrived like I felt heavy, you know, it was like towards the end of the year, challenging year in many ways, lots of good things, but plenty of challenges as well. And it's quite intimidating. It's like 70 people. Um, some people have been friends for 10 years, etc. So I feel like that first night, speaking to a lot of people, so it's three nights in effectively this, this farm in rural Wales. And speaking to a lot of people, you, you can feel like the weight of you know, running companies that, that everyone has there. And then by the end of it, honestly, like people are just coming out like absolutely buzzing, life-changing, like the, the depth of relationship you build there is really quite amazing. And I think you deserve a lot of credit for that because you're an absolute maestro at, at directing the whole thing. So w- what's what's the secret? That's very kind. Um, uh, we'll agree to disagree. Uh, <laughs> what's the secret? A lot of it is around what are the values and therefore who are the people that that value set attracts. So if I was to ask you to refer someone to founders, you probably know tons of entrepreneurs, but you probably wouldn't refer them all to founders. There would be a type of entrepreneur that you feel is specifically open, who's specifically humble, who is really kind, just keen to help others, that you'd be like, oh yeah, you feel founders-y. And so that um, culminates in just lots of really lovely people coming and you, you put really lovely people in a room together and you have a bit of facilitation um, and just magic happens. Otherwise, the way that I approached running founders was, A, um, I never felt like I should be running founders. So when I joined founders, I'd run a community of early stage entrepreneurs for about, uh, I suppose it was about six months. But when I applied, I'd been running the community for two months and so I knew nothing I like really knew very very little and on top of that I was I started a couple of very small businesses at university none of which had done like specifically well they all been like really small uh, and founders was this group of people who are super impressive like we, we've got the founders of Shazam and Calm and Moonpig and like all these really big companies and um, most people are in their probably 30s to 50s. And the criteria is that you have to have either um, raised half a million pounds, have a quarter of a million pounds annual recurring revenue, or you have a team of eight people, of which none of those criteria I hit. And so going into founders, I was like, okay, I am very much the youngest, least experienced person here. Uh, and so I was like, okay, what can I actually bring to the table? And I was like, oh, I can bring my energy and enthusiasm and um, just recognize that I know very little, uh, but just like, just put my heart and soul into it. And then that would have been a lot more difficult if the founders' values didn't really pretty much perfectly align with my personal values anyway. And so founders' values are 
speak vulnerably, candidly, and from experience, pay it forward, and remember to have fun and don't take yourself too seriously. So I'm like, love all of those. Those feel like me. And so at each retreat, I look at the values and I think, how am I going to embody these and lead by example? The most difficult one being, how do I speak vulnerably, candidly, and from experience? And so what's unique about founders as well is that people open up a lot about all areas of life. And part of that, I think, um, is due to at every single event, I would do my best and push myself, push my comfort zones to pour my heart out and just be very vulnerable about anything that I could in life um, and then tie it back to how I hoped people might show up during that event. Um, and so I think leading by example was one of the one of the top things. Um, there are lots of other like theory about how you design experiences and like the care that goes into like the different emails and the messages and the little trinkets and like all of these things add up. Um, but I think the, the, the big things are just like how well and wholeheartedly can someone embody the values that have brought those people together. It's amazing to see, especially on the vulnerable point, because I think that is uh, so powerful, especially in this British society when you know, with three British blokes here, there's a lot of uh, <clears throat> vulnerability lacking, I would say, generally. And it's amazing to see when people are sharing and being vulnerable, how it just like melts away others. And, you know, at, at, at these retreats, uh, you get de definitely some people who are much less comfortable with it. And you just see that, you know, people kind of almost get pulled into that just by sharing. And I think you, you really do reciprocate. And I've, I've noticed that a lot in my own life, which is like the more vulnerable you are about stuff, like people always want to talk about it, but don't, don't feel it's like the done thing or the norm. You, David, I, I want to talk to you about vulnerability because it's... <laughs> I'll just bat you away, but yeah. <laughs> How would you say you're doing on vulnerability? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine, mate. I'm fine. <laughs> so, on, um, <laughs> so, obviously, you've led the retreats and Hector, like, you've, you've been part of it. What, has there been, like, a moment that felt super pivotal? Or was it, you know, two years of, of kind of leading them? Was there something that you were like, oh, wow, like this, this is why it's life-changing? Can you point to, to a specific moment? And Hector, obviously, you've been involved for a little um, less length of time, but is, is there something specific? I mean, you guys have spoken really generally, and it sounds like something really like, inspiring and in, in this, this impact of both of you. But, but can you point towards something very specific? I'll speak only from experience, because that's the founder's value. Um... At one of the retreats last year, I met a guy called Dan. And Dan's an Aussie bloke. Uh, he had built, it's a cool uh, accounting, uh, automated accountancy and tax software called Ember, ember.co, plug for Dan. And amazing for small businesses. And he reached out to the retreat. He's, he's like the loveliest, kindest guy, just like radiates good energy and we ran a session or well, I actually I ran this this workshop a lot of the experiences just co-created so a lot of it's not me running it um and there's almost like a menu of different 
pretty much discussion circles that you can go to at, at any one time. I was actually running this session um, at the same time that other people were running others. And it was a music session. And the and I didn't come up with this as well. Another guy called Andy Allen coined this and he brought it to founders. And I thought it was so amazing that I was like, do you mind if I run this? And the concept is that you share a song that really means something to you. It's like it, it has a strong memory attached to it in your life. And you share the story behind the song and then everyone sits in silence and listens to the song from start to finish. Uh, and it is so powerful. And um, Dan and I were in this session, only with two others. It was just the four of us. Four of us blokes, four of us very British blokes, right? And the song uh, that was really impactful to me was a song that me and my dad listened to and my dad very sadly passed away uh, 18 years ago when I was nine and I remember this song and it's called I Want You by Savage Garden it's a great tune and it's a, it's a driving song so we used to he used to have like this Land Rover and we would go on surfing trips to Cornwall when I was super young and this is the song that we'd like play in the car and it's just like oh it's it's such a banger and I played this song and I just told this whole story and you can really like picture yourself in someone's memory when you listen to the song, having heard this description. And then Dan spoke about how his mum very sadly passed away when he was eight. And he shared that she wrote a song called Gone Too Soon. Um, and it was just this really crazy like oh my god you have this amazing energy and we've also sh shared this like really big pivotal traumatic life experience um and that was just such a deep very fast connection um to someone who has become one of my best mates and we have now lived together for the past nine months and at that retreat he also met his girlfriend and he's now moving in with her. And so the story of Dan and I is one that I love talking about because um, he's just an unbelievable gent and just like, he's a great bloke. And it was just like the perfect combination of a founder's story. Um, people have met their partners, people have had kids because they've met their partners and they've been co-founders, mentors, investors. It's like a whole, whole heap of really life-changing relationships have happened. Um, but that's the one that's affected me. Second that, Dan is a, a wonderful guy. But uh, I, so I think j just to touch on the point there, one of the many reasons I wanted to get you on is just because what surprised me is just how unlike life today this is, like how rare it was, you know, to go and obviously a, a real privilege to get to go and do this and, and have this experience. But I think it says a lot about what society is nowadays. And I think how hard it is to find these connections because so many of our relationships now are you know friends on social media you know and it, it's like there's none of this kind of really what you're talking about there like really deeply understanding a connection you have i think so much of our life now frankly is very shallow uh and you know, that shows up in, in lots of ways and i think religion uh you know obviously religion comes with its challenges but one of the side effects of religion going out of society is that you do lose community you do lose this this kind of um feeling part of something so 
just curious as to how running this for the last couple of years has changed how you see the world and where you think it's applicable and how it can go wider. You've just teed up my favorite conversation topic. (laughs) So through running founders and through thinking about my own life, this is what I've realized is my life purpose for now is to try and better connect the world. Um, I've had to reframe it as an infinite game as opposed to a finite game. Uh, previously, the inf- the finite game was connect a billion people, which is just like, it's been pretty ridiculous in terms of the ambition, but also just like, what, what, why that number makes no sense. Um, so anyway, better connect people. And I completely agree. We're in this loneliness pandemic, which was brought to lots of people's attention through COVID and the pandemic because suddenly there's like physical isolation, which then people really felt deeply, but actually there's been this slow trend towards people just feeling more and more distant. Social media isn't very human centered. It's not designed for us to actually deeply connect. It's designed for fame and likes and um, ultimately for them to sell you ads. Like that is how, that's the business model, right? Um, and very few spaces are designed purely for love and connection, which is what ultimately is one of our core human needs. And this is where I think if we, as people felt more love and connection in the world, there, so many of the problems would be either subdued or completely solved. Um, so much the rise in mental health, um, the knock-on effects that has, um, it's astronomical. And uh, what I believe is missing is in part these experiences, which founders have shown to me how powerful they can be if you get the right people in the room and you guide them through this specific type of experience, you can foster these really deep connections. But then the other side of it is um, the data side. So let's say I knew about you, your uh, like Myers-Briggs personality test or your DISC personality test, but I also knew your about your childhood and your life and what who you looked up to when you were younger why and maybe some of the traumatic experiences you had and, and what that meant to you and then what were your what are your deeply uh like core values um and uh like ha- what do you love to do at work and outside of work like if you have let's say those six pieces of information and i had those six pieces of information about a thousand people i could say with pretty good confidence that I could connect you with one of your future best mates or a future partner. Um, And that's just the data side. If you apply the data side with the experience side, then you have these really um, powerful connective experiences. The difficulty is the experience side is very difficult to scale, like communities, the founders is amazing because it's really intimate, well, pretty intimate, it's just under 400 people, but that would change if it was 4,000 people. And so like, how do you solve that problem? And then the data side is, how do you build up the trust such that people want to give you this very personal, very intimate data? Um, And so that's where I think the next big opportunity lies and what I believe my career will take me towards um but i don't know exactly how that looks at the moment i'm more so trying to 
not come up with the exact idea first and instead sort of like try and find the people that could help build it because the irony about running founders was that I was the only person in the team in founders and so the whole point of community is about connecting people but I felt pretty lonely throughout a lot of doing founders I had an amazing board and I'd have monthly um meetings with them which is like the highlight of my month um and rob o'donovan invested a lot of time and energy into me um and so he was amazing but still like when you're sat at home by yourself a lot um it was it was pretty tough and so looking for the team first do you think in the uh wild west of social media and that kind of wider space is there anything you're seeing that is starting to you think tick the right boxes move in this direction at any kind of trends not that i could speak with confidence on um i, f I found a article talking about how different platforms are built for love versus fame um so whatsapp is a good one around love uh you're not like trying to get followers on whatsapp you only text people that you have their number and want to text LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. It's all about fame. It's all about how many followers you have. Can you create viral content? And so I think there's um, the space for more companies like the WhatsApp. Facebook Messenger was this. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's opportunity there, but I can't say I, I know um, of anything that's like really hitting the nail on the head. I've never thought of WhatsApp like that before. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very true. What you speak about, um, you guys have spoken about how the founder's journey is really lonely, right? Why so? Obviously, I think people can think, oh, well, because you're, you know, you're starting something and everything's on you and you've got no one to talk to. But people who aren't founders will say, well, yeah, like that's, that's me as well. Like I work in a company where this is like, what, why is, why do you think founders are, are specifically more, more lonely? Or why that, why that, yeah, I think it doesn't have to be, and I think it's... Uh, but fundamentally, there's a really good book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by uh, Ben Horowitz, who runs one of the biggest VCs in the world and was a successful founder, had, had a big exit, and he wrote a book basically about how hard it was. And one of the things he talks about is how uh, the average rating out of 100 for CEOs is 21%, but no one knows that that's the average. So you're basically doing a job that you're completely unqualified for, and the, the buck very much stops with you. The so average rating out of the, 100. The, the average like competency score for a CEO mm. is 21 out of 100, but but you just don't know that that's the average. Voted by the employer. No, I mean, not not, not really, not okay, really. Okay, but okay. like that's that's basically what it is. So it's basically like you are doing this job, like at every stage you get to, you've just got to learn a whole new bunch of things that you're probably terrible at. And fundamentally, the, the buck stops with you. And I think where it can be lonely is, you know, fun, you, you need to make decisions you need to absorb the problems and you have to kind of make hard decisions uh but i do think that you can open up it's just it's just tricky because there's a lot of psychological pressure right like there's a lot of imposter syndrome as a founder for sure and you know fundamentally you feel like a lot of stuff is your fault it usually is and so I think it's just dealing with that. And I think things like uh, founders of the community, like the more you talk with people, one of the, the most amazing things about that is it's just getting in a room with a lot of people. You just hear how hard, you know, everyone's finding it or like everyone's dealing with shit. And you're like that person who I've been watching them on social media and they've been, looks like they've been smashing it. 
and then they're like oh my god the last month few months have been a shit show you know so i think that is very grounding and it's just you can then kind of share the burden i think because it's an isolating role in the way that you know you are the one who everyone's looking at and fundamentally it's down to you um but i think that can be shared i think that in itself is a skill is like sharing that load you know learning to be vulnerable with the team all of these kind of things uh but it's not it's not easy for sure you do it, I'm sorry. Go for it. the just adding to what hector said as the ceo there are quite big repercussions to you potentially being vulnerable with above and below so above would be your investors or your board and below would be your employees so let's say let's say you're struggling with your mental health as a as a ceo if you share that with your employees the person that they've been looking to for stability for confidence for assuredness to pay their salary and to provide their stability for their lives that person's now a bit shaky and so then their confidence might get knocked or this is what at least you assume as a CEO, not necessarily true. The same goes for if you say that to your investors. Your investors, if, if you have investors, they sit on your board and they ultimately have the power to remove you as CEO. And I'm not saying this is all investors, but investors, the stereotype, usually aren't the most empathetic people. Um, if you don't hit your targets, they're like breathing down your neck and any sign of weakness, you, you could get replaced any moment. And so there's a lot of risk associated with speaking with e- each stakeholder above and below you. And so that's why then communities like founders work really well is that, A, the people aren't related to your business. We don't have any investors, no investors are allowed to come into founders. And so therefore you couldn't, we're not expecting you to like open up and your investors sitting across the table from you. Um, it's just people who just get it and are like your peers and they're building other businesses. I think one thing that's worked really well, uh, which you have spoken about a lot today, is infinite games. And fundamentally, startups feel like a real finite game. You know, like it's it's unbelievable how uh, <clears throat> in danger the startup feels at any point, any time something else happens in the space or you get a bit of bad news. Like it's a real roller coaster. Um, and you know, your suppliers, your investors, your employees, it can sometimes feel like everyone's kind of playing a different game to you or has a different agenda, but I think it's flipping that mindset into it's an infinite game. And, and I mean, the the key point there is you're playing to play and everyone is a collaborator rather than a competitor because people reciprocate, you know? So like if you are very friendly with your competitors or your investors or your employees and like really open up to people, then I find that, that they open up back. So I think that has been a big unlock and it is a muscle and it takes time um that's a balance yeah the balance yeah exactly it is a balance you're right to some extent but i think you know a company is just a group of people and sometimes it you know we lose sight of that maybe because like there also isn't like a right way to be a ceo or any role right and i think i think a lot of the time it feels like i should you know battle with our investors about this or I should do X, Y, Z. But you're right, that, you know, problems happen, of course. Yeah. And, that, and then I think the other point to address is that as the CEO, the majority of your life is problems. There, are, There's very little to no one being like, great job. 
<laughs> you did really well there. Yeah, yeah. No one's saying that to you. All it is is, yeah, of course you should have done that. Or, yeah, you had to solve that problem or the company dies. Or this person's so annoyed uh, and you helps them solve their problem. They may say thank you. They may not. I think great. Sorry to interject. I just read something this morning that like great life advice is to assume everyone feels underappreciated. And I just think that's good life advice, right? Like everyone thinks everyone could probably do with a bit more of like a pat on the back or like, oh, you did that really well. Or you're doing a great job with this. Yeah, I just thought that's really solid advice. And I had this in Founders. Like I was CEO um, and some of my boards were like amazing at pausing occasionally and saying like, nice, that was really good. And I didn't realize I needed it until I heard it and I got super emotional in like the odd board meeting. And I was like, oh my God, I just got given a compliment. Uh, he just like appreciated something that I did. Um, and actually I had a, had a really tense um, conversation at the, just when I was finishing with one of my board um, because I, I won't go into details, but I felt like I was entitled to something and I felt I put in some really hard work um, and I wanted, I was like struggling to get new work and I like didn't have very much um, cash in the bank and I basically needed a new laptop um, and I sent an email which was like maybe a bit, it was like definitely pretty abrupt going like, look, I think you should buy me a laptop. <laughs> and um, arguments and back and forth. And like Founders and Nonprofits, Founders has been um, supported by one of the board and uh, it's always been run on a very tight budget. Um, and so there's not like spare cash lying around. Um, but I still felt entitled enough to say like, I think you should buy me a laptop. And I was lots of arguments and lots of time to reflect and I ultimately came down to me feeling underappreciated um, by the board and there were lessons for both of us in here in that he as an experienced entrepreneur who's done it built incredible businesses he was like you're a CEO mate you want to be a CEO no one's going to say good job like <laughs> that's the harsh reality get on with it and the other side of it was he also admitted he's like oh I've actually I, this is something that I think I can work on as well it's like giving recognition um, because also Founders wasn't my baby it's not my company I was hired into it um, and still treated it as a founder does treat their child so it was this difficult balance um, but yeah I think it really highlighted that being a CEO is not easy uh, but also you should expect that it's not going to be easy going into it. I actually find it very hard to accept compliments. Not like oh, yeah. tell people to fuck off, but like if someone says it, in my mind, I'm just like, yeah, but they don't know about this other thing that we haven't sorted out yet, you know? <laughs> so like, I, I just kind of auto dismiss, yeah. which probably isn't that healthy. But why, why do you think that is? Um, that's a good question. I, why do I think that is? I don't know. I, I, I think a little bit is like the on the healthier side i think it's a bit of that kind of finite infinite game thing where like everyone's like, oh you should yeah i'm really not good at celebrating wins which i know are important but like because people say 
uh, yeah, great, getting the funding closed, launching the cabin, whatever it is. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, we need to do all these next things. So I think, uh, like, not I'm not very goal-oriented. So I don't really, obviously, you know, that funding needs to be raised, that cabin needs to be launched, all of these things. But like, when we get there, it's not like, oh, we hit the goal. It's like, on to the next thing now. Um, and I think I think there's probably like a dissatisfaction there, uh, which probably speaks to something a bit unhealthier. And I think it's why... A lot of entrepreneurs, myself included, like I am probably doing this. There's a lot of positive, like genuinely think we can really make an amazing change in the world with this. And like that, that drives me. But there's also a bit of it that like wants to show that I'm remarkable. You know, I think we all, that's a very human trait. Uh, and that I think manifests in a way of like, this isn't enough, you know, and enough is a dangerous word. But, you know, we need to be, you know, like recently because of funding, and in my head, I'm like, yeah, but it's not, you know, we need to be also doing all these things, you know? And so, like, this isn't, like, completed. So I listened to a really interesting interview with the BrewDog founder on, on Steve Bartlett's podcast. And he, he's a, you know, I think he's runs a business in a very different way to me. But he, he has obviously been very successful. Uh, he's driven by this feeling of like never feeling like enough, which came from trauma from his, his mother. So he has this constant voice that says like, you're not enough. And I, I, I don't think uh, it's that. I, I don't think I have like, but my, my self-talk is pretty positive. But like, I think there's a little bit of that in, in every entrepreneur, you know, because you're trying to do a ridiculously challenging thing, basically, irrationally hard. I really resonate with that. And I, th I think it is present in most people. And... The thing I'm almost scared about is if, like, it sounds so stupid, but if we get enlightened enough that that goes, does the ambition also go? Yeah, I, I, I uh, went for a walk with, um, I guess I'm naming and shaming him, but the, the my old boss who, who ran the startup I used to work for and very successful results, sold to Revolut. And he was talking about, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, talking about trauma and how he had some particular trauma around his parents. And he was like, yeah, but I don't want to solve it all necessarily because I, I kind of need that to drive me on to do the next thing. And there's an interesting thing. There's a, also a conversation with the, someone told me about the uh, CEO of Goldman Sachs along the same lines when they were saying like, uh, they, they don't want to be like 100% happy. You know, it's like finding the right balance where they still have the drive to go and do the successful thing. Now, obviously the, the argument you could say there is, well, actually, you know, if you got rid of that trauma, you wouldn't care about the, the job or the startup or like whatever it is. Uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's part of the human experience as well. And I think this is something that I have thought about quite a lot. And what I have learned about myself is that it's either being pushed by a trauma or a scarcity-based mindset. Or if we can, then it's almost being pulled by an abundance-based mindset, something bigger than ourselves. And so the, re the reason I got into building community or felt the need for these deep connections because my dad passed away, lacked that like really pivotal connection, was at boarding school, always felt super lonely throughout school, just like was really craving just to find my people. I found it and founders has been and my community before founders was just another example of that and it just felt so good 
And then I thought about it for a long time and I realized like, do I want to be driven by this like feeling like I need to find my people um, and find more of my people because I lacked them before? Um, And what I've realized now is that I've discovered how powerful these deeply connective experiences can be for everyone and anyone. And it's no, it's not about me. It's not about what I was lacking, but it's about like, that is pure magic. That is amazing. That is like so life-changing. That's epic. That's, that's what it's all about. And just want to make more of that, whether I'm involved in it or not. That feels like it's a different driver and I've done a lot of work on my traumas. I've done like therapy for years, done coaching for years. Um, and it just feels a lot more sustainable because I think the problem with the scarcity driven mindset is that it pushes us too far or it pushes too hard and it makes us imbalanced and ultimately it leads us breaking either mentally, physically, um, and then ultimately becoming dissatisfied with life um as opposed to just being dissatisfied with the results which is what i feel i think is still healthy like having a healthy level of dissatisfaction uh is still can be positive yeah i guess it's like what uh thought pattern does that dissatisfaction cause right is it a narrative of like oh we could you know is it a positive space where where you're thinking about you know as you were just saying how, how do we bring even more you know joy whatever it is connection or is it this like you're a piece of shit. You know why are you why are you failing at this? Uh, so I think it's just tuning into that and like how how you how you're talking to yourself and also how it's it's serving you. But yeah, it comes back to the finite and infinite games because you know it's like playing to play for love of the game rather than playing to win. Because as soon as it's like you know I need to build a billion pound company or I need to hit this milestone, then I think it that you then have a very unhealthy uh, relationship with with what you do. And actually, the the perfect culmination like the perfect um, example of finite games being destructive are Olympians. Olympians live their life on a finite game. Every four years, you know who the other Olympians are, trying to win gold. If you don't win gold, you're miserable. And then even if you do win gold, you win it, you have your moment of fame. The next day comes and you're like, okay, what's next? And Michael Phelps, I think co-produced and was in a documentary called The Weight of Gold and it talked about he's the most decorated Olympian ever and he was so depressed because you have that what's what's next like why what why have I done this but one thing to clarify about infinite and finite games is that infinite games are made up of lots of finite games so it's not like finite games are bad but it's about becoming detached to the finite game as long as you're still playing the infinite game. So the Iron Man was still a worthy goal for me within the infinite game of building endurance and discipline. If I hadn't done it, I would have still felt gutted, but I also would have still felt confident with the knowledge that I'd trained for a year and I'd like put a lot of time and energy into it and I built that endurance, I built that discipline. Um, but it's a good like signpost. It's just not all about the outcome for me. Yeah, I did uh, a silent retreat in 2019 which is called intro to buddhism so half meditation half buddhist philosophy and the biggest the the best bit of wisdom out of that was the buddhist idea of attachment which is i need this to be happy and i was there 25 at the time was just so like dissatisfied with life 
it's like need to you know i need to go and do an mba or i need to go and like get this job or do this thing and just heard that and it was just like that is what has governed my whole life up until then like just this feeling of like adding these things are going to make me happy and then i mean the, the biggest learning from that whole retreat was like actually happiness comes from taking things away you know and it's like taking away the cravings or the aversion or whatever it is rather than like how often do we think if i just change job you know start going out with this person buy this thing then i'll be happy and like it never comes two things come to mind hearing you speak about that one is a book by sean acor called the happiness advantage it's generally a book which can be summarized by this point which is that we think success leads to happiness which is just back to front if you're happy and you optimize for happiness you will be more successful than you would have if you'd had it the other way around that's the first thing i highly recommend like the most um i don't know if you guys turn the corners of your books but that one is just like it's all every every page is turned the other is um i i've had a coach for, for quite a while and he's wonderful he's called sahail um and his whole coaching philosophy is around inner and outer voices and your inner voices are when you're living your core values and you're embodying them fully um, and you just like feel like your best self. Outer voices are conditioning, assumptions, judgments, expectations. Anything that says like, I need to, I should, this is all conditioning. Like it's not your voice, your truest self. It's someone else or something else that has been speaking to you. That's meaning like, oh, I need to do this or I should do this such that x y or z and his whole coaching philosophy is around recognizing most problems we have are outer voice focused and so then we build these personas that are culminations of your inner uh, of your values and your inner voices so my personas are i have a warrior monk i have obama maverick so as if obama was in top gun and the most recent one was um, a Boabab Avatar. I don't know if you ever used to watch Avatar the Airbender, that cartoon, and anyway. And it's like, imagine if the Boabab tree was also an airbender. So those are like my three personified uh, inner voices. And so then anytime I'm struggling with a problem and I can catch myself, I'm like, okay, this is out of voice focus, then I try and think, okay, what would the Burbab avatar do? What would the warrior monk do? What would Obama Maverick do in these situations? They have like different sort of personalities. Um, and that's really powerful. Um, but it reminded me of what you were speaking about when you feel like this need to do something or I should do something. That's a classic out of voice tell. Right. That's a, a probably a nice point to, to wrap up, I think, AJ. Great energy, man. Have you got some Italian blood in you? Because I lived in Italy for a year, but the hand gestures <laughs> mirror anyone I met in my year in Milan. For sure. I love it. I love Maybe. It. I haven't done my ancestry.com, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks so much for coming, man. Really, really cool. Really nice chat. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, AJ, a joy. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'll have to get you back on again Really soon. appreciate it. Thank you so much for having Did me. Did you get the laptop, by the way? No. <laughs> I didn't. I know. Uh, where, b- before we finish, uh, where, where can people find you? And what's next? Find me on LinkedIn. 
AJ, full stop. <laughs> um, and what is next is I am helping startups, communities, and VCs uh, build community. Um, but otherwise, I'm looking for world-class startup operators to, who want to help people better connect. And so if that's one of you, then I would love to chat um, because there's a lot of work that needs to be done in this space and it's life-changing. And so I'm hoping that we can scale it and that needs a, a killer team. Love it. Great awesome. stuff. Thank you, man. Thanks so much. Does your brain never feel like this?